Our scripture reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, from chapter 4, Philippians 4, the first nine verses. Philippians 4, verses 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So far the reading. Our text is verses 2 to 7, and we'll look at them under the heading of Paul's prescription for peace. Well, the past year has just rocketed by, hasn't it? This time last year, Olivia and Ruby had not yet started their final year at school, and now they're thinking about life after school. Birthdays have come and gone just as quickly. And the older we get, the quicker each year seems to just rush on by, and we, we stand yet again at the beginning of a new year. And often when we come to this time of the year, we think of the things that have happened in the past year, and we, we wonder what will happen in the year ahead. We take stock of where we are, where we're at in our lives. Just a few years ago, in the lead-up to the last week of the year, someone with, a, with an air of hopelessness said to me that the year that was drawing to a close had been a bad one, but that the next year was going to be even worse. Now, I trust that's not where you are at this morning. I hope that you're not looking at the year ahead with a measure of despair. I trust that knowing that you are a child of God will uplift you that it will generate in your heart a, a joyful and, and a heartfelt sense of, of optimism, of hope. Now, of course, we shouldn't look at the year ahead with an unrealistic expectation. Of course, not everything will be exactly the way that, that we want them to be. People will disappoint us. There will be difficulties in all of our lives. That's part and parcel of, of living in a fallen, fallen world. We know that we will lose loved ones and friends to death. More and more we will also face opposition to what we believe. But that too is part, of part, part and parcel of the life of followers of Christ. But if we listen to what scripture tells us, and especially if we listen to what this passage, the passage that we've just read, tells us, we can take these things in our stride. For there is hope. God is near and we have great reason, great cause to rejoice. 
In this passage, Paul gives the Philippians instructions that we would do well to keep in mind as we set off on this journey that is called 2023 and beyond. Now, some of you may listen to the television show Dr. Phil from time to time, but this morning we're going to listen to another doctor. We're going to tune into another doctor that, that has far superior counseling skills. We're going to listen to what medicine Dr. Paul prescribes to the Philippian church. We look first at what he says about handling conflict, then at his prescription for anxiety, and lastly we'll turn to the effect of his prescribed treatment. Verses 2 and 3 tell us about the prescription for handling conflict. Verses 4 to 6 tell us about his prescription for anxiety. And then verse 7 tells us what the effect is of his prescribed treatment. So we turn our attention firstly to the prescription for handling conflict. Now I don't think it would be far wrong to say that conflict is something that happens in all of our lives. We differ about things and often that can lead to division or to, to conflict. We can get upset with people about almost anything. Personal relationships, real or perceived offences, and of course that dear old thing called money. Christians and churches aren't immune to this either. Sometimes we find it difficult to get along with our fellow believers. In preparing for this sermon, I I came across a, a saying that captures this quite well. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story. And it seems like the two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, also struggled with this living together with each other in love. We don't know much about them except from the fact that Paul valued them highly as willing and as effective fellow workers in God's vineyard. He goes so far as to say that their names were already in the book of life that great book spoken of in Revelation 21. But something has gone wrong. Something has gone wrong, and these two gospel warriors are now at opposite sides of some sort of argument. We don't know anything about the nature of their disagreement, but for Paul to address them personally in a letter that was to be read out to the whole church most likely means that their disagreement must have threatened the unity of of the church, the unity of that congregation. And this was a serious threat. After all, unity among believers is essential to our witness to the world. And the conflict between these two gospel warriors was jeopardizing the witness of the gospel for which they had labored so willingly, so faithfully. The fruit of their labor, the fruit of their labor was being destroyed by their actions. So Paul pleads with them. And the original language is quite emphatic here. It's like he's saying, please, 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 ladies, think about what your actions are saying about the gospel. More literally, Paul's plea to agree in the Lord is to have the same mind in the Lord. He's imploring them to strive for the the unity and the, the harmony in life that's possible because of their common bond in Christ. Back in chapters 1 and 2, we didn't read that this morning, but in chapters 1 and 2, Paul had urged the congregation to stand firm for the gospel. Side by side, they are to strive with one mind for the faith of the gospel. And the actions of these two ladies threaten this unity. 
It threatens this oneness of mind. So this wasn't just something that affected them, but it affected the whole believing community. That's why Paul also then calls for the intervention of a a third party. The need for resolution calls for the aid of the family of God. So the medicine that Paul was, was asking that had to be administered by the church and by the, by the leadership, that was to help these two women um, to settle this problem. These women were to be helped by the, the corporate wisdom, if you like, of their brothers and sisters. And if we keep that in mind, friends, if we look at that and we think about the year that lies ahead, We may have to deal with people with whom we've had a great relationship in the past. But that relationship might be strained at best. We may have to deal with people who are very touchy or who feel their opinions are not valued or they're perhaps oversensitive or perhaps they're just very difficult. This may be in church, at work, in the retirement village. It may be even in our homes or our marriages. What Paul is pleading for, for believers in such circumstances, is that our attitude, our attitude should be like that of Christ. Be of one mind in Christ. So brothers and sisters in Christ, if we do get into conflict situations in the coming year, if we do have differences of opinion, let's keep Paul's exhortations in the forefront of our minds. Let's keep what he's saying to these two ladies, these two gospel warriors. Let's keep that in the, in the forefronts of our minds. If we do disagree about things, let us work it out as the body of Christ. Submitting to each other in love. Accepting intercession where that is called for. Accepting intervention where that's called for. For the way that we handle such disagreements, especially as a body of believers affects the kingdom work that you and I are called to do. It has the potential of disrupting and and even destroying the work that's already been done. The way we handle our difficulties, our, our disagreements, our differences, also impacts on the image of Christ that we portray to the world around us. Remember one thing. Remember that you and I represent Christ. We represent Christ. So may our daily prayer then be, may the mind of Christ, our Saviour, live in us from day to day by his love, by his power, controlling all that we do and say. Let that be our daily prayer. Let the mind of Christ, our Saviour, live in us from day to day by his love and power controlling all we do, all we do and say. In verses 4 to 6, Paul goes on to address the Philippians' anxiety. It seems that they were real worry warriors. Now, that's not something unique to them or to their time, is it? It's something we can all do. But worry brings us down. It makes us and, and others too even more anxious. Some of you may remember the Bobby McFerrin song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. It's a very plain, simple, sing-along song. But one of its lines does sort of say it all. Don't worry, be happy. 
Because when you worry, your face will frown. And that will bring everyone down. That is true, isn't it? But it also brings us down. You bring yourself down. Worry, anxiousness, anxiety, it can really take one to the dark side. It can take all the joy out of our lives. And it can prevent us from serving God. It can prevent us from serving our God. And the good Dr. Paul's prescription for this, for this malady, is a threefold cocktail. It's a threefold spiritual cocktail. Firstly, rejoice in the Lord always. Secondly, be gentle to everyone. And thirdly, do not be anxious, but bring everything to God in prayer with thanksgiving. What an inspired prescription that is. In everything, rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle with others and seek help from God. All the while, praising him. And don't just do this on an as and when basis or when you feel like it. No, do it always. Always. And for many, you know, for many this seems sen- senseless or just plain silly. How can, how can Paul even suggest that we rejoice in all circumstances of life? What does he know of the things that we face? What does he know of our lives? Friends, don't forget that Paul was writing this not from an ivory tower where he's immune to all life's worries and troubles. He's not sitting in a local coffee shop or in a Roman trattoria sipping a latte either. And he wasn't passing on instructions unaware of what the cost of discipleship, the cost of following those instructions would be. Quite the opposite. His command to rejoice in all circumstances was issued while he was in a Roman captivity, in a Roman prison. It was written while he was unsure if he would live or die. He knew firsthand what the true cost of discipleship was. And yet he could still exclaim, rejoice. Neither captivity nor the uncertainty of life could dampen his joy of redemption in Christ. Now, I don't know if Paul thought about the prophet Nehemiah when he wrote this, but if he did, he would surely agree that Nehemiah was absolutely right when he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Brothers and sisters, the biblical reality is this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If we set our hearts on rejoicing in the Lord, we will stand firm, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we rejoice, we become open to God. We become open to what he can do in our lives, what he does in our lives. And please don't think, please don't think that rejoicing in the Lord is an optional extra. It's not a luxury, not a luxury at all. It's a necessity. For how can we not rejoice if we've been redeemed? Rejoice because the Lord has won your freedom. He's won your redemption. Rejoice because through Christ's sacrifice, You can live in union with him. Rejoice because the one who is loving and gracious and and almighty fellowships with you. Rejoice because Christ is in you. Rejoice because the Lord, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Have we got reason to rejoice? Surely we do. Living in the joy of the Lord doesn't only open us 
open us to, to God. It also leads us to better relationships with others. A rejoicing spirit is characterized by gentleness. So Paul can rightly say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This reasonable or gentleness is the same word that Christ used to describe who? To describe himself. He said, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Beloved in Christ, be gentle with each other. Oh, so what, what does this gentleness mean? The gentleness that the Bible speaks of is characterized by softness or meekness, rather than a hardness of heart or a hardness of word. That has to do with tenderness that brings healing instead of attitudes that cause division. Rejoicing in the Lord produces a gentle relationship with us, the type of relationship that Yodia and Syntyche previously had. And this is the type of gentleness that you and I are called to exhibit to each other. The relationship of gentleness that is filled with a Christ-like love. That's what we are called to exhibit towards each other. A spirit of reasonableness, a spirit of gentleness that's filled with Christ-like love. And between the second and third parts of Paul's spiritual medicine, there's a crucial part of the text that we can often overlook. At the end of verse 5, Paul's, Paul writes, and it's just a short phrase, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Friends, that's the reason why we can and must live with rejoicing and with gentleness. The Lord is near. He may return at any time, but he's always near to those who call upon him. The Lord's nearness is, is a cause for celebration. It's a cause for rejoicing. And it must also prompt us to live with gentleness. And because the Lord is near, there's also no reason for us to be anxious. That little phrase binds these things together. In a sense, Paul is saying, the Lord is near, so don't worry, be happy. Paul's command not to be anxious reminds us of how, how Jesus used the birds of the, of the air as examples of, of God's provision. He said, don't worry about your life. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. And Paul says then, don't be anxious about anything. And remember, this comes from a man who's been stoned, he's been robbed, he's been attacked, he's been imprisoned, he wasn't sure whether he would see tomorrow, whether he would live or be executed. But instead of moaning and groaning about it, he tells his fellow Christian believers, pray, pray and give thanks. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Rejoice. This is what he tells the Philippians. This is what he tells the Colossians. Whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks. Brothers and sisters, if we feel or when we feel as if our problems are about to overwhelm us, when we're at our wit's end, we're at our wit's end with our other people treat us or hurt us. When it feels all just too hard or too lonely, 
our relief comes from one place. It's from joyfully and with thanksgiving placing our anxieties and our needs at the feet of Jesus. By casting all our cares onto him, we declare our trust in him and our dependence on him and on him alone. Bring everything to God in prayer and then leave it at the base of his throne. Trust in him for the creator God knows what is best. Trust in him for the God who provides. The God who provides will provide everything that you need to serve him. Trust in him for the God who heals will preserve you. Trust in him and give joyful thanks to him. As we stand at the beginning of yet another new year, are we willing to follow these directions that Paul gives to the Philippian church? Do we agree also with the Apostle Peter when he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls? Because of Christ's sacrifice, we can rejoice. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we must rejoice. Will you pledge this Lord's Day morning that in the year ahead you will rejoice in the Lord because of the magnificent sacrifice of Jesus? Are you willing to commit that in 2023 your gentleness will be known and shown to everyone? Will you commit to cease worrying about the future or the concerns of this life and to instead to be happy in the Lord, the Lord of your salvation? Beloved in Christ, the Lord is at hand. He is near. He is with us every step of the way, every day, in every way. Will you entrust to him in prayer and thanksgiving everything? Will you re rejoice in him? Will you live with gentleness? Verses 2 to 6 describe Paul's remedy for conflict resolution and his, his threefold spiritual cocktail against anxiety. And then in verse 7, he goes on to describe the result of this prescribed medication. Listen again to verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the result, that's the effect of, of Dr. Paul's prescription for peace. God's peace will flood over those who approach him with thanksgiving, who rejoice in him. But what does this peace and, and serenity mean? It's not the sort of quietness of travelling on the edge of space, as it were, far from conflict. It doesn't mean that there will be no storms on the sea of life, but it does mean that there is a safe harbour. It doesn't mean that the road that we travel on as believers will be smooth, that there won't be any potholes, but there is the wonderful assurance that the final destination will be reached. There is a safe harbour, and that final destination that we as believers have will be reached. So this serenity, this peace, means the unique contentment or tranquility, if you like, that we can experience if we entrust everything to God. It is content, contentment with where we are at, no matter the circumstances. It's a serenity that, 
that are, that's there in the guaranteed presence of the Almighty God who is always with us. It is the peace which will calm the turbulence and the, the unrest in the hearts and minds of those who see God in prayer and which will keep them peaceful whether or not their petitions are answered. It's a type of peace that can say with Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see, friends, the challenge of Christian living is not to eliminate every uncomfortable circumstance from our lives. That's not what it's about. It is to trust in the sovereign and the good and the almighty God in every situation. Confidently trusting in the Lord will allow us to thank him even in the midst of trials because his peace, his peace will reign in our hearts. You can, we can, and we will enjoy peace and rest when you cultivate the habit of looking to God with a grateful attitude. That's when we can enjoy peace and rest. So let me ask you, are you willing to trust God in every situation? Are you willing to thank him knowing that in everything that he does, he does what he knows is best for you. Are you willing to enjoy the peace and the rest that comes with trusting him with a thankful heart? Are you willing to do that? Brothers and sisters in Christ, as you make your way through these days and the months ahead, can I urge you to remember that, that you and I, we all represent Christ to the world and to agree in the Lord? We are the image of, a, of Christ to a broken world. How we act, the things that we do, paint a picture of Christ to others. Let's remember that. That what we do, what we say, paints a picture of Christ to others in this world. So I urge you always, always, always rejoice in the Lord. Always, always, always let your reasonableness, your gentleness, your tenderness be known and shown to others. And always, always, always bring everything to God in prayer with thanksgiving. Gracious Lord, as we stand again at the beginning of a new year, we confess our need for your presence. We confess, our Lord, our need for your guidance. For you alone know what the future holds. And only you can give us the strength and the wisdom to meet the challenges ahead. Father, we... We put our hands into your strong and secure hand. 
and we confidently trust in you. We place our hope, O Lord, in you. And we pray, O Lord, let us experience your peace. In the name of our Lord and Saviour, by whose death and resurrection we have hope, both for this world and the world to come. Amen.